0: This excellent medical student-led podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as... Welcome back, everyone. This is episode six, and we have some exciting news. It's going to be the first time the, we're expanding who's helping out with the podcast. Uh, with that being said, I'd like to introduce Brenda Rialli.
1: Hey, everyone. I'm Brenda. Excited to be a part of this podcast. I'm a MedPeds intern new to Chicago. Um, yeah, just exploring the city. It's been fun.
0: I was lucky enough to meet Brenda as part of my MICU elective. We got to work together and then we crossed paths again during my sub, I'm now on the CCU. Um, and she was super excited to help out. So she's actually gonna lead today's
2: case. Um, we also have two new discussants with us. I'll let them introduce themselves. Hey everybody, uh, my name is Diego Valenzuela. I'm a fourth year medical student. Um, I'm interested in internal medicine, um, maybe doing a fellowship in critical care, or nephrology. I'm doing a nephrology rotation right now that I really enjoy. So. Hey, everyone. My name
3: is John Levinson. I'm a fourth year medical student here at Rush. I'm going to be applying into internal medicine this fall, potentially interested in maybe cardiology or GI. I'm currently at an inflammatory bowel disease rotation at UChicago, which I'm really enjoying. Glad to be here. All right, guys. Ready to get things started? Let's roll.
1: All right, so your first aliquot. So you have a 69 year old Caucasian male who presents to the ED with one day history of worsening shortness of breath and a two month history of fevers, 15 pound weight loss, and a dry, non productive cough. So I'll follow you from here.
3: So right away, to jumping at this, I think I have like two etiologies of where this could be. I'm either thinking of something like infectious etiology or some kind of malignancy, um especially with the weight loss and fevers and everything. What do you think, Diego?
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's like a good way to start. You know, potentially maybe something autoimmune as well, Um, but certainly infection.
1: That's awesome. So I think those are like the top three things we think of, right? When we see some non specific symptoms with fever, weight loss, and this cough. So I think you hit it malignancy, autoimmune, um, and infectious. So one thing that I've seen for a schema for fevers is I made. So, and you covered those. So like infection, malignancy, autoimmune, drugs, and endocrine. And then the other thing that I like to think about with weight loss is kind of breaking it up into, is it like in the setting of an inflammatory process or like a non-inflammatory process? So what would you think you would see in like a non-inflammatory causes of like weight loss? So you kind of hit the inflammatory stuff.
3: I mean, it could be intentional weight loss at the start, or it could even be functional where maybe they have some kind of functional GI issues, some kind of small bowel obstruction, or just maybe um, even some kind of nausea going on such a brain process causing nausea.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I think you guys nailed the big three on the head yeah. just right on like yeah. common things being common. It's probably going to
0: be something in real life. It's going to be something under the, one of those three. Um, when I first saw this, I'm seeing some, there's something happening in the background, like two month chronic picture mm-hmm. then this worsening shortness of breath in one day. That sounds like it's the real reason this patient presented. Mm-hmm. Ready to move out. To
1: Let's do it. So some more additional history for you. His past medical history is significant for a 30-pack-year smoking history, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, COPD, and chronic sinusitis. Does this change kind of where this is leading you? Uh,
2: not really for me. I mean, the smoking um, and the chronic sinusitis, um, COPD, those all kind of direct me towards uh, down the path of uh, malignancy or infectious.
3: Yeah, exactly. I guess thinking... I'm in the same mindset because it's just a lot of the COPD exacerbations are caused by infectious etiology. And also obviously with smoking, you're getting some kind of lung cancer.
1: Awesome. So I think Kevin touched on this earlier, but kind of with this acute on chronic process, what do you think is kind of causing the more acute presentation? You touched on a little bit with COPD exacerbation, Mm -hmm. but what else can cause this acute, these acute symptoms?
2: I mean, you could think of like a pneumonia. It's an infectious thing
3: upper respiratory infection infection like the flu or depending on what time this was covid mm-hmm. anything like that yeah mm-hmm. i think those are all great and mindful to keep like the clinical
0: course tempo of disease is like super important to keep in mind when thinking about this and we really didn't give you much here
1: mm-hmm.
0: so it's not surprising it doesn't change all that much but let's see what aliquot 3 does
1: okay so on further talking to the patient reports new onset substernal chest pain and also report that he has not urinated for the past day.
2: I mean, with the pe- the chest pain, the, the shortness of breath could be like an anginal equivalent. Um, so maybe he's having some sort of like cardiac process going on. He just doesn't, hasn't really manifested. much.
3: And the urination, it depends. Well, it goes in hand, weight loss. He may not be eating a lot or drinking a lot because he's not feeling well. Yeah. It could be part of it. You could also... I guess in the past day. So again, it's something acute. So it really just points more to something acute setting going on. And I think the substernal chest pain could be related to some kind of process in the lungs. Never know, maybe there's an impact component to it with the heart, maybe some chiropericoditis, something involved, but.
0: I think you really nailed it on the head, like picking up the clues in this kind of suggests that it is something more acute, mm-hmm. but also like keeping in the back of your mind that there is this chronic picture still going on. But right, like hasn't urinated in one day now, that's something's happening, right? Mm-hmm. And then keeping in mind that we have a complaint, of shortness of breath, and now we're finding out some more information. Maybe it's chest pain. Are the two mutually exclusive or are they, is one causing the other? We'll find out. But kind of dissecting that already, it's, it's really cool to hear.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I know you said for the, you're, he hasn't urinated in the past year, thinking maybe like decreased PO intake, but what are some other things that can kind of cause decreased urine alpha? What's on your mind?
3: Um, so things that come up, you can have like a put like an obstructive type picture, like BPH. But that kind of seems, especially with the acute setting, doesn't seem necessary. as likely any so far, he hasn't complained of any other symptoms or put it like of any kind of um, a prostatitis type picture or anything like that. Could also just be hypo like a some kind of acute kidney injury, injury, like hypovolemic AKI, which could kind of put in the picture I was saying earlier with the just not drinking enough water and everything like that could just lead
2: to that. Yeah. Kind of like what John was saying. Um, and the, and the fact that I'm unreal, like I think of <laughs> the AKI stuff. So like hypovolemia, um, maybe he's retaining this fluid because he needs to get his blood pressure up. you know, poor 4 PO intake. It also could be an obstruction. We don't know. Maybe he's got new kidney stone as you, I mean, he's a 69 year old male, I, I believe. And maybe he has some element of BPH and maybe this is just a tipping point, but who knows, you know, it could be, renal, intrinsic, post-renal or something completely else.
3: Yeah, the one last I just had, maybe it could be a sign of some kind of metastasis so yeah. somewhere around like the yeah. rethrow the bladder or kidney anywhere around there. So that's mm-hmm. that's my only other thought I have on that.
1: That was awesome. You hit all the kind of big three things we classify into, right? So like prerenal, intrinsic, and then post-renal. and like they're thinking of BPH given his age, but then also tying that in with the systemic symptoms we saw earlier and thinking maybe a malignancy that is metastasized. So those are all great thoughts. Yeah,
0: great job, guys. And you kind of we have limited data right now. Like we have no vitals, no lab data, and you're we're already clued into like this is this an AKI? And I'm I'm just thinking because I reviewed it recently, but like the criteria for AKI. Are mostly creatinine related, but the third one is decreased urine output by 0.5 cc's per kg or per hour. But we're we're keeping that in mind already.
1: So we finally have some more <laughs> data for you guys. <laughs> so on physical exam, he has a temperature of 101.3, blood pressure 100 over 64, heart rate of 110, respiratory rate 20, saturating at 94% on room air. His lungs were clear to auscultation in all lung fields. His heart sounds were regular rhythm, tachycardic, but no murmurs were noted. And then palpable purpura on the dorsal surfaces of his bilateral feet are noted.
3: The uh, purpura that's kind of interesting kind of points to the picture on uh, vasculitis is something that kind of just came up when we think of the autoimmune type picture. And then especially with the decreased renal output, maybe that's kind of involving the kidneys. Um, you can think of things, something I was thinking about earlier, but I thought it was too much of a zebra was with the sinusitis. You could have Wegner's, yeah. which you, the ties all three together. We're going to have the nose, the lungs, and the kidneys involved. And to go that, I actually had a patient with that. It's a pretty, pretty terrible and debilitating disease. So He's also, it's also unusual for his age to kind of have it in like, what was he? 70? Yeah,
1: 69.
3: 69. Yeah. So, I, but that's something that's kind of just
2: come into my mind. Yeah, I, I, agree with John. Like he, you know, he has some, he has signs of like upper and lower respiratory tract involvement, which are, um, you know, signs of, of possible like, uh, Wagner's and. Given a fever, maybe he has a flare going on right now. And maybe he's had it forever. He just does, or for a while, he just doesn't realize. Um, but I still think it's important to like think about infection and stuff given um he's got a fever, his vitals are just unstable. And um he's yeah. Um I mean, I also thinking I whenever I see palpable, I I always think of like, that one disease in kids, like, Hinoch, mm-hmm. <laughs> Schoenheim, Yeah, so <laughs> I always think of that yeah. too, but I like that it just that's just like the classic step one buzz, buzzwords. So,
3: and also on top of that, the patient I did have, she had the, the weakness caused um, cr- chronic damage in the lungs, which then led to her having aspergilloma. So there's always, you can have an you could have the chronic issue of like the autoimmune disease weakening and leading to infection there. Um, I guess the, the lungs are cleared as aspo- with mm-hmm. in all fields. So yeah. Maybe it's not some obviously clear, huge lobar pneumonia or something, but it's something you keep on the radar when it, at this point you can't rule out infection, especially with a fever 101.3. I like to pose this question sick or not sick? Sick. sick. He's
0: definitely sick, yeah. yeah. And how does does the temperature change your guys' thinking? we kind of touched on it a little bit, but I'm just wondering like now if we go back to Aliquot one and we talked about those three buckets, how does that, how does the temperature fit in?
3: Well, it's definitely high enough. Like if you started a fever 100.4, and this is almost a full degree above that you definitely got to be thinking some kind of viral organism going on to cause the fever to go up that high, especially with his heart rate being up to 110 and his O2 sat being down to 94% and just on room air, not just sitting in a hospital bed.
0: I mean, we've already touched on it, but palpable purpura is a very unique finding, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I first saw this, I'm trying to think of what I would think of if I saw that um, yeah. findings, we've touched on vasculitis.
2: I'm wondering if you guys just out of curiosity, like, What else comes to mind with palpable cervical? I think of like a hemolytic disease, some sort of like, I mean, some form of autoimmune, like, you know, like anemia, as you mentioned, vasculitides, not sure if it happens with malignancy, but I feel like those would be like the main thing, some sort of problem with maybe also some problem with the liver as well, because you've just got, um, you know, extravasating blood. So that's (laughs) something I think of.
1: No, it's perfect. I like to think about it in like coagulopathy versus like vascular mm-hmm. issues. So that was perfect.
2: Love where this is headed, guys.
0: Great <laughs> reasoning so far. Let's go to aliquot five.
1: All right, so we got some labs for you. The so CBC remarkable for a white blood cell count of eighteen, hemoglobin nine point two, platelets of four hundred and fifty five. CMP is remarkable for a creatinine of fifteen, BUN of two hundred, potassium six point six, bicarb sixteen. The ESR was elevated at 92. Your UA showed hematuria and proteinuria. Proponin was elevated at 1.3, and EKG showed ST elevation and leads 2, 3 AVF concerning inferior wall MI. So I know there's a lot here, so we can slowly pick this apart. Yeah.
3: I'll start with one thing at a time. So we'll start with the CBC, just looking at with the platelets being 455, like thinking of some kind of like you know um, thrombocytopenia, maybe causing that's more fatigue than purpura, but I think that's kind of out. The white count being up, I think that kind of ties in more with the infectious etiology. Um, CMP creatinine 15, so that's something seriously going on. Because I, th- I remember talking to one of my attendings if he was telling me if I took and cut your ureters right now for 24 hours. Your creatinine would only d- will go up to two in one day, so <laughs> wow. fifteen is something serious is going on. with the kidney. So that's like definitely this has been a chronic issue. That you can need to really go up that high, especially potassium six point six. Yeah, ESR of ninety two, infectious or autoimmune, um, hematuria and proteinuria. Um, kind of like the thing that jumped off of me was again the Wagners. I, I don't know if it it's kind of a zebra diagnosis for this, but because it, it does have a mixed picture of both, and then the inferior wall. MI is interesting because that might be in the case of almost like a demand um cause. Yeah. Potentially coming in with just being sick and everything like that. If he has like, you know, chronic coronary artery disease and you're sick and you're not able to perfuse that well enough. But um I don't know with ST elevations, it seems kind of veer. Let's pull so, off a quick aside
0: here. Yeah. Sure. Being that we're both on the CCU right now, we talk about this at rounds all the time. Does ST elevation localize to a particular vessel?
2: And more i feel like uh localized to like a particular region of the heart um, mm. or the wall you know surrounding the heart uh but i wouldn't say it's like a you know it's like it's this vessel versus another one it's like well it could be this one it could be another one mm-hmm. we don't know exactly um, it, totally a loaded question on my part okay. <laughs> <laughs> it totally depends on like
0: their coronary anatomy yeah but something i learned that i didn't realize is st depression like says something ischemic is going on but you can't interpret like if there was depression in two three and ADF, we can't really say that's inferior.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Just a just an aside yeah. there. All right, Diego, I'm gonna pose this to you, okay. You know, given this data
2: now and you're you're the doc in
0: charge, what are you doing next?
2: Yeah, so for him, I see that uh, the main things that jumped off the page for me were creating a 15, B on a 200. Potassium uh, six point seven of sixteen. So I'm thinking he's got some sort of metabolic alkalo- ac- acidosis going on right now. I and considering he's had like a hydro a little bit of hydroponin, um, and STL elevations. I want to go to lactate on this guy to see if he's like ischemic or not, because that'll like change my management in terms of its uh, anion gap metabolic acidosis or non anion gap. Um, that'll be the first thing. And the second thing was the the UA showing hematuria and proteinuria. I definitely want to like see how much proteinuria that is, yeah. um, because, you know, as John mentioned, like, if we're going to go down the, like a glomerular or like a neph- or the vasculitis thing, like there's always a component, there might be a component of nephritis, So, or nephrosis. So, you know, just checking to see how much proteinuria that can rule out a nephrosis syndrome or, you know, rule it in kind of thing. So. And then, when the one thing, I guess he's got a
3: STEMI. And one of the thing's like, oh, we, I want to take him to the cath lab, yeah. but he's a creatinine of 15. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of he's an acute renal failure. It's, <laughs> can you get him in contrast, right? I think, I, I guess they, can, I they could do dialysis afterwards. And a with STEMI, I think it would be important to try to. It becomes a benefits risk. Thing. Yeah. If he's having acute STEMI, I guess. Well, he got that angio. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, coronary angiography did not reveal any atherosclerotic lesions and no stents replaced. So does this kind of rule anything out for you? Does it change what your top differential is?
2: I think he's got like some sort of vasospastic thing going on. I don't know. I it just kind of like the whole like picture thing. I think of like a angina kind of thing going on. I don't know. But just because there's no lesions, but he's got like this ST elevation mm-hmm. and he's got all these other like kind of systemic things going on. I think it's just, I don't know, just kind of drags me towards that way. Because uh, I feel like I've seen that in test questions before, like, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but. that, no, that that's was a, very, great, <laughs> that's a great thought. Beautiful <laughs> reasoning.
0: <laughs> you, you just identified like a unique bucket of normal coronary
3: angio mm-hmm. semi. Yeah.
1: What else can cause troponin elevations? Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So a lot of different things, Um, especially since we recently here switched to high sensitivity troponins, we've seen it. So it doesn't necessarily mean you're having a heart attack. There's some kind of stressor on the heart going on. And that could be from a lot of things, hypovolemia, You can even have like myocarditis, pericarditis type picture. It's really a lot. Like if you're just putting demand on the heart, you're sick or it's tachycardia can really do it. So he's, he already has a heart rate of what 110. Yeah. He's been losing a lot of weight. It's just, well, not necessarily just has to be an MI.
2: Yeah. And I think of, I know there's like types of MIs. I can't remember all of off the top of my <laughs> head, but, um, or like STEMIs, but, um, you know, I think of, I've seen in the past, like people with elevated troponins due to like hypervolemia, like, you know, it's all depends on like the Frank Starling curve
0: mm-hmm. where they're at on
2: that curve, but you know, maybe they're being overloaded and they're just their heart, you know, maybe their EF isn't that great. So they just can't pump as well. And so they need to take some fluid off or, Maybe there's not enough so it's just like trying to pump more it's more of like a demand and like it doesn't have enough blood to pump as well so um yeah i mean there's there's other a lot of other reasons besides like intrinsic damage like from uh uh, a plaque causing skin cancer yeah. to the heart, but there's
3: also with his renal, like he's obviously in renal failure yeah. and, you know, just p- patients who are on dialysis often have elevated troponins and yeah, there's kind yeah. of a multifactorial thing yeah. of like, not just one, they're not able to clear the troponin like a yeah. normal person too. And there's also theories behind it where just being in that state of renal failure just causes stress on the heart itself, just elevating Absolutely, the troponins because they have a high baseline for another person.
2: Yeah. cardiorenal renal
3: Yeah. Cardio-renal. Um, you guys are nailing this incredible reason
0: (laughs) (laughs) so fun i like (laughs) you said
1: everything i was hoping you would say Okay, Okay, okay.
0: (laughs) what you guys were saying reminded me like we know an elevated troponin can be due to many different things but kind of synthesizing that in the clinical picture like if Mm -hmm. someone has an elevated troponin in the setting of crushing chest pain we're going to give that more validity than if it's someone not complaining of any chest pain and just it was a random troponin check right Mm -hmm. Let's move on to the next aliquot. yeah. Let's do it.
1: All right. So we have some imaging for you now. So CT chest was unremarkable. No nodules, no focal consolidations. But you get CT paranasal sinuses, and that shows severe diffuse paranasal sinus disease and severe thinning or absence of the cribriform plate. Get an autoimmune workup. Your ANA, rheumatoid factor, and anti-MPO were negative. And your anti antiprotonase three, Sir C Anka, was elevated at 32. I know you guys have been kind of getting to this point, but I'll let you take it from here.
3: Yeah, so C Anka is I believe that's associated with Weckner's because I kind of remember the C. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I remember for step one because it's you kind of tied all the three organs and it kind of explains all the symptoms going on, especially um I wrote like it's really destructive of like the nasal septum and everything that you're seeing here. And there's like the, whenever I rotate on ENT, they just said there's like the most difficult like rhinoplasties they have to do. So you have with the cyanca? that's really seems to be where it's pointing. Yeah. do you have anything to go?
2: Yeah. Um, I agree. There's a couple of diseases that have like elevated Sianka. I know it's not just Wegener's. I know there's like a scenic eosinophilic uh, polyandritis as well. Um, something else I can't remember, but I think like those are the main three things we should be thinking of um, if we see this.
1: Yeah, no, that's perfect. Those are the, like, vasculitis is the number one thing you yeah. think of when you get a C-anca.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What else might cause, like, an elevated c Anga outside of vasculitis?
2: I feel like I remember seeing um, one, I, I think it's uh, ulcerative colitis might cause it mm-hmm. as well. Um, and... Yeah, I think,
3: yeah, it's with um, that and PSC, uh, oh, uh, I think it's, yeah. I can't remember, okay. can't remember one of the two, but yeah they're associated with each other but anyways yeah definitely yeah you guys take stuff yesterday or <laughs> no, that
0: was that was incredible exactly
1: what i was going for the only other one i was going to add is sometimes yeah. with like bacterial like infective endocarditis like yeah. you can get an elevated sienga but absolutely oh. like the number one things you think of are vasculitis okay
0: they're, they're markers they're neutrophilic markers yeah right? so like the endocarditis i was i recently heard this too and was totally surprised but it makes sense like if you have a super infectious thing going on your neutrophils are ramping up Let's it's see. not all that surprising that it would come mm-hmm. back elevated too
1: does it surprise you that the CT chest is unremarkable?
2: Um, it doesn't surprise me because I know you can have like pulmonary hemorrhage. If I'm going to go, if I'm going to commit to saying like it's a, a vasculitis disease, like I know you can see pulmonary hemorrhage with these, uh, but it doesn't, you don't have to have it. Um, you know, it's more of like, if, and he could possibly, he could have possibly presented with that because he was tachycardic anemic, you know, maybe he was having like an ongoing hemorrhage, but, if he's not, this is actually, it's a great thing that he's not, you know, that it is negative. So it kind of doesn't make us want to have to go take him to like, uh, get a thrombectomy or something like that immediately. I'm going to challenge you guys.
3: Go for it. What are you going to do next? What are you going to do to confirm diagnosis? Do you start treatment? I think you should get a kidney biopsy just in general, but I think with the way how sticky he is, um, I guess trying to think of the last thing we get blood cultures, I'm going to do that. See if he's any sepsis, you got to identify that. I still think, I don't think, what, um, GPA, um, explains all of the symptoms, show how acutely ill he is, where I want to feel if we hit him with the treatment cyclophosphamide mud. Mm-hmm. So that's going to, if he's, if he, if he's got an infection, it's going to go crazy and go yeah. everywhere. And that's not a benign drug either. So, yeah. so I'm going to try to find a source of infection and then try to get a target therapy for that. So then maybe potentially we can then treat the GPA.
1: Yeah. Are there certain symptoms that don't fit into your schema for Wagner's or like getting granulomatosis or polyangitis?
2: I mean, like the urinary retention or in all I I feel like you'd have some, you know, urination. So, but maybe because it's crammy is so bad, Um, but I'd still want to get like an ultrasound of his bladder just to make sure that there's no obstruction because if there is like and we miss that, That's a really bad thing to miss. That's an easy thing to check right? Exactly, and just do a bladder scan, just like a bedside. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that's, like, probably one of the main things that I'm just like, huh, I usually don't see this. Um, But, like, Don mentioned, like, a kidney biopsy would be helpful to, like, rule that in.
3: Oh, sorry. I was also wanting to do maybe a quick echo to look for any, like, regional wall abnormalities apart, because maybe with the, you know, maybe a PE could kind of be involved with what's going on. We can even go to CTA, but the... Um, see what's going on with that I like everything you guys have said and I'm going to keep challenging you guys because why not
0: <laughs> let's go back to this potential STEMI mm-hmm. does that fit
3: into the direction we're heading now I think it's from. because I have the patient I think I could be wrong but I think cardiac involvement can happen but it's rare but it, it could be I'm, I'm I don't know like not sure maybe just like how acutely ill they are and maybe it could even be like embolism, some kind of along that route be causing that potentially i know it's not like the classic you know the s1 t3 that you see with pe mm-hmm. but i guess you can cause bright heart strains which you're looking for when you're looking for um like with a massive pe or some massive criteria but yeah yeah
1: going back to the presenting complaint so this patient came in with acute worsening of shortness of breath. Mm -hmm. So knowing everything, you know, right now, what do you think was the cause of that acute worsening of a shortness of breath?
3: I think it's it's still trying to find some kind of infectious etiology because it may not just be a pneumonia, but it could be some kind of other like sepsis or it could some have some kind of like, you know, bladder or UTI or anything like that or pylo, or maybe even I think still want to rule out Mm PE. Yeah,
2: I kind of agree with John. I also totally forgot to keep my differential was like, because we're seeing all these systemic things was um, amyloidosis. I feel like that like causes a lot of things. I know it can cause like a lot of heart problems as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it can go just many years without nobody would know they have it. Um and, you know, I, I was going to say uh, lupus, but his ANA is negative. So it like kind of brings that down my differential, but, and rheumatoid factor, but. Um,
3: yeah, you could do that in the echo too.
2: Yeah, exactly. You could, I mean so. Yeah, you could test for that. So.
0: You guys have covered so much. And what I love most is, you've kind of kept the frame of everything going on in mind and have kept your differential broad, but discuss why things don't fit. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling I know where both of you are headed. We have <laughs> a little bit more information to give you. Okay.
1: All right. So the patient was initiated on CVVH for acute renal failure and empiric treatment for the presumed diagnosis. So biopsies were obtained prior to initiating treatment. So they got punch biopsies of the skin lesion, on the dorsal surface of his feet that showed leukocytoplastic vasculitis in kidney biopsy he showed posse-immune, vocal segmental necrotizing, and crescentic glomerulonephritis nephritis with secondary acute tubular <laughs> okay. necrosis. Okay. So I think I think you guys have the diagnosis and you've had for a while, but yeah what do y'all what are y'all thinking?
3: Go GPA, okay, which
2: is the other name for work nurse great Yeah, yeah. Yeah I agree with John. Um just interesting. Like he's got like secondary, it, it sounds like he's got FSGS from that description. Mm-hmm. I just, um, I don't know. I know it's like can be due to GPA, but I, there's also like other causes as well, like, uh, drug abuse, um, infections, like HIV, uh, hep B, hep C. So, you know, just trying to see, uh, or maybe getting those serologies and tests later on would be helpful to make sure, you know, this is not something else like that we're missing that maybe he's had for a while that we just don't know, but um yeah, I mean I agree with like the starting on dialysis because he really needs it and uh just interesting, yeah. Interesting patient.
1: That was great. I really wanted to talk about causes of FSGS, so I'm glad <laughs> you brought that up. Yeah, step ahead. Um
0: I also just want to mention like from that I can tell Diego's a pick'em's dictum guy, not Occam's razor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, let's let's talk about FSGS because you're on renal right now. Mm-hmm. What, what are some of the causes? You mentioned a couple. I'm trying to remember what I associate with that yeah. too.
2: I think I remember heroin is a cause, mm-hmm. heroin use. Um, I remember B, Hep C, HIV. I think sickle a- cell was too. Yeah, sickle cell. There's actually a lot more causes than I thought. Uh, I thought it was like just one or two things, but I, I know there's like some medications as well. Um, actually, crazy thing is, I believe uh, research is saying that COVID, is a potential cause of FSGS, right. like secondary FSGS um, and there's like, it's, you can see it in like different areas too. Like, so there's like grades of FSGS, like certain parts of the glomeruli can be affected. And so I think COVID is like one of the worst because it affects the hilum, which is like where, like that's, you know, where that's the entire basis of glomerulus um, gets infected or gets impacted. So I just know that's bad. Um, it's not great to have FSGS. <laughs> it's, it's really, Not good for you, but uh, unfortunately, that's something he's got it. All right, let's put
3: your nickel down. What's the (laughs) final diagnosis and how are you treating it? Uh, GPA, and then you got to do cyclophosphamide. And we still want to, I guess, to be yeah, we talked about the cultures, try to identify an infectious Mm -hmm. sort before we start treatment and roll out infection. Yeah,
2: yeah, I agree. It's I think it's GPA. It also does start like steroids, um, just to get down some of this inflammation that's going on everywhere. I mean. Um, you know, in the heart, uh, kidneys, um, like maybe this is, he's got something, I mean, his his nasal passages or nasal, um, canals as well. So I think that would definitely help like a stress dose of the steroids.
1: You guys were spot on. I think you got to it at like aliquot <laughs> like three four, or three. three or four. Wow. Like, you guys were on top of it. That was wonderful. So yes, it is granulomatosis with Um, the patient was Created with the methylprednisolone pulse therapy, and then was followed by cyclophosphamide and prednisone.
3: Yeah. I, I have I
1: have no words at <laughs> like aliquot three.
3: I, I had a patient with yeah, it, so I guess that of It was just like when I saw the sinusitis, I was like, oh, maybe. I'm like, that's too much of a zebra, and then I was like, oh, actually, this might be it. <laughs>
2: it's just interesting that he got this at like 69 and yeah. you're 70 years old, and he had never had this before. It's kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, the thing that you could still get stuff like this with, that. Late. Yeah.
3: With IBD, which is the rotation on now there's like a bimodal presentation of it. You can get it like in your twenties and you can get it in your fifties to seventies. I've seen a number of patients who just started getting in their sixties. Wow.
1: So what do you know about the epidemiology of GPA? Like what's the like patient presentation you think of?
2: I think, I feel like it's like a, a female, like in their I don't know, middle age that, I know it's like I mean it's not an autoimmune disease or yeah. pretty much so I feel like it's always mostly mainly females that present with it yeah, and coming in, in with like hemoptysis like mm-hmm. epistaxis mm-hmm. um like shortness of breath cough, very, yeah 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 he, yeah exactly uh, blood from basically all of the orifices yeah
0: my illness script I'm for some reason associating this one being more associated with males it, yeah. Is it really? I think it's uh, like
1: fifties to seventies male usually caucasian yeah. um but you're right that like usually with autoimmune media hey, you I'll think like
2: it.
0: female yeah. so yeah. You know. before we go into some teaching points for gpa i just want to acknowledge that we refer to it as Wegner's disease throughout the episode and recognize and understand that there's a push to have that name change formally to granulomatosis with polyangitis due to dr Wegner's questionable knowledge of practice and association with the Nazi party. We'll be mindful using the GPA name going forward
3: earlier and everything going on. That's the one thing where I'm kind of confused on, but you ever, it's, I guess that
0: appreciating the pathophysiologic difference between vasculitis and vasculopathy will, will frame your thought process. Vasculopathy isn't the narrowing, an eventual occlusion of the vessel due to thrombosis, septic emboli, or intravascular protein deposition. Whereas vasculitis becomes a narrowing, and eventually occluded vessel due to the inflammation in the actual vessel wall and subsequent endothelial proliferation. So there are many vasculitis and it's challenging to keep track of them. So a helpful organized approach is to first characterize them based off the size of the vessel that they typically affect. And then for the small vessel, vasculitis in particular, whether or not they're ANCA or immune complex associated. So there's numerous overlapping similarities between the vasculitis. It can be helpful to prime your mind with characteristic or differentiating features and pivot points when you suspect a vasculitis picture. I'll try to highlight those as we work through this schema. So the large vessel vasculitis are giant cell or temporal arteritis, which affects the major aortic branches, can have clinical features, including headache, scalp and jaw pain, jaw claudication, or amaurosis fugax when it involves the ophthalmic artery. 50% of patients with GCA or temporal arteritis have associated polymyalgia rheumatica. The other large vessel vasculitis is Takayasu's arteritis. It's very similar to GCA, but it more commonly involves the aorta, subclavian, or common carotid. And a differentiating feature with this one is limb involvement with a clinical sign of limb claudication. The medium vessel vasculitis include polyarteritis nodosa, which can present as mononeuritis multiplex levator reticularis. It can have nodules or ulcerations. There's often renal involvement, and then GI involvement, which would include a clinical picture suggestive of mesenteric ischemia. Another medium vessel vasculitis includes primary angitis of the CNS. The difference here is that there's isolated CNS involvement, so the there's a classic triad of headache. Altered mental status, and then new focal neurological deficits. Kawasaki's disease is another medium vessel vasculitis. It's thought to be due to infection or an abnormal immune response to infection, and it's primarily seen in children under the age of five. I turn to the crash and burn mnemonic when thinking of this. So it's characterized by conjunctivitis, a disquamative rash, the strawberry tongue or mucositis, and then erythema and edema of the hands and feet. Additionally, a very high fever, usually greater than five days. Last are the small vessel vasculitis. And first, I break them up into ANCA associated, which includes granulomatosis with polyangitis. It's typically C ANCA positive, anti PR3 positive. It's posse immune, causes necrotizing granulomas. And I like to think of the letter C, which includes ENT, pulmonary, and renal involvement. So if you were to draw a C on a body, it helps capture all three of those. Microscopic polyangitis is another small vessel inca-associated. It's P-Inca positive, and anti-NPO positive. It's non-granulomatous, typically only involving the lungs and kidney. And then lastly is eosinophilic granulomatous with polyangitis. The clinical picture is often a person with asthma and nasal polyps. It's p anca and anti-NPO associated. And then, as the name indicates, eosinophilia is characteristic. It often involves neuro, pulmonary, and cardiac systems. Last are the small vessel immune complex associated vasculitis, which includes cryoglobulinemic vasculitis. It can be seen in the setting of multiple myeloma, hepatitis C, lupus, Sjogren's. Rheumatoid factor is often positive and there's a very low C4. Palpable, Palpable purpura are a common skin finding. IgA vasculitis or HSP, Often seen in the setting of a viral URI or sharp pharyngitis features include abdominal pain, GI bleed, arthritis, arthralgia, and glomerular nephritis. And then lastly is hypersensitivity vasculitis, which is the last of the immune complex associated and unique to this is it's often isolated. Cutaneous involvement is the only clinical picture as reasoning. I think we can talk, just go over some teaching points for GPA. Yeah. Uh, we have some here that Brenda will lead us through, but please like John, you've already seen a case. Diego, yeah. you were already on top of this too. Like throw in your pearls too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like you both have touched on a lot of this already, which is great. But like we talked about, affects the small and medium muscles. So patients initially present with very non-specific symptoms, kind of like what we saw with this patient, right? So you get like weight loss, fevers, night sweats, arthralgias, and you can go down like any schema, right? Like infectious, malignancy. So it makes the early diagnosis really difficult. Um, you also get like insidious onset of like ENT symptoms. So exactly like you said, I know you thought it was a zebra, but like that chronic sinusitis, (laughs) like you want to think about vasculitis, right? Especially GPA, because that's initially patients can have it for like months to years before they have any of these more serious systemic symptoms and where you get like renal failure and you get like a myocarditis or myocardial infarction. So it's good to think about um, vasculitis with ENT, like chronic, chronic ENT symptoms. So a positive C ANCA, you like 100% think of GPA, right? But like you said, Don, you want to get that tissue biopsy. I think it's clinician dependent on like whether you want to start treatment before you actually get that diagnosis. And it's like part of it is how sick is the patient, right? Like you said, this patient was really sick. Um, and you both asked for a lot of like infectious um, workup that actually came back negative on this patient. We didn't mm-hmm. include it in all the aliquots. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, depending on the clinical picture, you would start it before you get biopsy confirmation. But obviously you would get the actual biopsy before you start any of the treatment. What else? You, got, you went through the differentials. So I won't spend a lot of time, but like we said, thinking about malignancy, infectious processes, sarcoidosis, mm-hmm. and then all the other different vasculitis that you can have. Um, yeah. And then the most important thing the reason it's a zebra and it's rare, but the reason we want to keep it on our differential is it really changes like the mortality rate once you start treatment, right? So without adequate treatment, one-year survival is less than 20%, but the five-year survival with adequate treatment is about 80%. So it's really important to diagnose it early and start treatment. And this patient was pretty lucky. He came off of CBVH, went on ACE went home to like, or well, not, didn't go home, but he went to like acute rehab mm-hmm, and wow. did fairly well given his, his clinical presentation.
3: Wow anything you guys want to add some stuff you've seen or heard along the way like the patient i had his non-specific symptoms it was actually she just um she was unable to take her medications for a few months prior to her hospitalization she kind of just presented with increased shortness of breath um and just eventually developed went into acute respiratory failure i actually thought it was initially a panic attack at first because she was getting so anxious for being in the hospital I actually tried to sit down and watch like friends with her to try to see if that made her feel better and then it kept going on for a few hours so it was a little bit too long. And she had to be intubated for a while, and then they actually gave her IVIG, and she got much better. Oh, wow. So it was a, yeah, it was a that was an interesting case.
1: The patient previously had a diagnosis of GP and had a
3: yeah. The, one of the differences, I think, I was talking. My dad, the pulmonologist, was trying to. I was I was curious about. It. I was talking about afterwards, like you know, panic attack or some like acute respiratory issue. She was desaturating on nasal cannula down to like eighty three eighty eight, and she kept going. She kept saying, "I'm anxious. I'm anxious. It's my anxiety." So that's one of the things I was trying to see if I could help with that to get the underlying cause. But apparently yeah. with panic attacks, um, he says usually they're not going to desat as acutely as that. Yeah. So I mean, keep in mind, I guess. Another thing I learned in kind of reviewing for this discussion is the lung findings are awful. In this.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: It's like capillaritis, interstitial lung disease, and then worst cases, diffuse alveolar hemorrh- hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, it sounds like this guy would know a normal chest CT. Mm-hmm. Lung involvement wasn't, significant mm-hmm. and hopefully it stays that way being on treatment, but mm-hmm. just keeping that in mind too, this can progress rapidly and cause some pretty devastating mm-hmm. processes.
2: Yeah. One thing I, I learned just because on, on the rotation on renal, we we've seen patients with this, um, is that, uh, once they're diagnosed and they're getting treated and stuff like that as an outpatient, um, they'll, they'll come in with flares, like an occasionally, but um to check for flares you just get another c in level um, because that can actually become negative um like while they're not having a flare you know so you kind of just check that if they're if you think they're having a flare they're coming into the office or you know they're sent in from the the office to the hospital to be admitted um you know you got you should check that because it can change from negative to positive and that will indicate to you that they're Likely having a flare, um, and I didn't. Re- I didn't know that at all. I thought it always stayed positive forever. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I didn't know that either. So oh.
2: it's. Uh, it was good to. That, that, is that, is a nice that was a good pearl. That's yes. a great pearl. Uh,
0: on that note, guys, thanks John and Diego for coming on, being discussants. Very brave of you, and you guys. Wish you were on. You're you're welcome back anytime. You're master clinicians in your own part already. Um, it's kind of crazy to think about, thinking if you were an M1 sitting in this seat and where th- with three years is. Mm-hmm has done already. Uh, and then thanks to Brenda for, for joining the team and leading us in a case. We're really looking forward to having her and just thanks again.
1: Thank you. You guys did a great job. You're going to be great. I am interns and Kevin, thanks for having me on the podcast. We get to, been a great sub So
0: And then one more thing before we sign off, I forgot to say in the beginning, Dr. Abrams is with us. He's listening, but he's on service and the realities of the job are that things come up and he had to be pulled away, but he was here listening and he'll be back next time, I'm sure. So on that note, keep it alert and oriented.